Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Good morning. Welcome to Real Life. I'm Jim, and that is Vanessa Farish, our worship director, and today is her birthday. So say happy birthday to Vanessa. There you go. 22. She's 22. That's what I was going to say. And um, uh, thank you all for uh, those of you who brought diapers last weekend here at Real Life on Mother's Day. We collect diapers to give to a women's shelter, and you filled up uh, multiple trucks full of diapers. There were so many of them there that we took them to the, the shelter last week and they could not take all the diapers that we had. So we took another bunch of them and we sent them to an orphanage in Mexico. And so you have blessed people far and wide with your gifts of diapers last week. So thank you for being such a generous church and for caring for people uh, outside our walls. Well done. Let's take a minute and say hello to the chapel, to all the people worshiping in the other room at the other end of the building. Hello, chapel. Glad you guys are with us. God bless you guys. If you've not already worshiped in there, it's kind of cool to see what we're doing. We're in two rooms at the same time on Sunday mornings. Two bands, two host pastors. So make sure if you haven't checked out the other one, check out both of them and uh, get a feel for what your church is doing because uh, that's kind of fun. Um, summer is here. I've been to a graduation already. Uh, I'm watching people take final exams and our summer calendar is upon us. Make sure when you go on vacation, if you're going somewhere this summer, even if it's just to the beach or the mountains or whatever, wear a real life shirt, one of your mini real life shirts and take a picture of yourself and post it on social media with a hashtag R-L-L-A because there will be prizes, fabulous prizes given at the uh, end of the summer for the, I think we're going to do the shirt that went the furthest away and the most creative one, which is completely subjective. I think that boils down to what Kevin and Stacy like the best is, is who gets the prize for that one. So make sure you, you do that over the course of the summer. And let's take a minute and let's, let's pray for our summer here at Real Life because, you know, we've got a big block party coming up in a couple weeks to welcome all the neighbors. I've met several people who live in this neighborhood are going to come join us. Uh, all your friends uh, are invited. And, uh, and then we're going to have, this summer, we're going to have vacation Bible school in our own building for the first time since we formed as a church. We actually, we don't have to go find some place else to have our vacation Bible school. Plus all the camps and retreats and mission trips that are going on this summer. There's a lot to pray for. So let's, uh, let's start our morning off. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you called us from far away, that we might draw close to you and just know how much we're loved. And I thank you that you love every single person in this room, that there is no resentment, there is no grudge, there's no anger or judgment, that you love everybody here and want to embrace them and take them, uh, take them back uh, call them your children and bring them home. God, I thank you for how much you love us. And I pray that as this church goes about its ministries, goes about its outreach, that you use our church to speak your love to the world. May people experience here a kind of love that they don't experience 
anywhere else. Use our church to bless the world around us. Bless all the things that we have planned for the summer. Bless the things that you have planned for the summer that we don't know about yet. And and use our church uh, for your grace and for your goodness. God, we pray for people who are hurting in our midst. We pray for somebody who's had a recurrence of cancer uh, and and ask that you would fill them with hope. Fill them with with promise and work miracles of healings in their lives. Pray for those who are going through big transitions this summer, who are moving away or who are going off to school or starting a new job. In the midst of those transitions, show them that you're walking beside them, that you go before them, that they are not alone. God, everything that we have is in your hands, and so we trust you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, there's one thing and one thing only that I want to impress on you this morning, and that is that we have a thoughtless, irresponsible, and wasteful God. That's what I want you to walk away with this morning. By the time this morning's done, I want to have impressed on you that we have a thoughtless, irresponsible, and wasteful God. And I think I can show you that using the scriptures this morning. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean. I mean exactly what it sounds like. You know what wasteful is. You know what, you know what responsible is, and you know what wasteful is. Uh, at my house... My wife and I try to be responsible. We try not to be wasteful. So uh, many years ago, she started a little habit that I found out about. I was reaching in one of the the cabinets in our kitchen, and I pulled out a a large Tupperware that had green stuff growing inside of it. And I said to my wife, are we scientists? What, What is... What is it? She goes, no, 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 that's for the compost bin. I take, you know, banana peels and coffee grounds, and I just put them in there until it's full, and then I take it out to the compost bin in the yard, and we use it to fertilize the garden, right? So you're welcome, Earth, right? The Millers have done our part. We've scratched your back. Now lay off the hurricanes, okay? And, uh, and so my wife is thinking, I'm not going to waste. That stuff would go in the trash otherwise. I'm not going to waste. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to use it to do something good. So now that I've touched this disgusting science experiment she has going on in in the kitchen, I go over to wash my hands and uh, I, I use the soap and what comes out is not soap. It's this, it's this white water. And, and I say, uh, honey, I think, we're, I think we're out of soap. And she goes, no, I, I watered it down so it would last longer. I put water in the soap so we would get extend longer. I'm not wasting, I'm being responsible. And I said, you know what's gonna be a waste is when I die of the black plague that we grew in our kitchen that I couldn't wash off my hands. Friday, Friday was our 22nd wedding anniversary. And uh, there you go. And uh, so the committee called and she's getting the Nobel Peace Prize. It's amazing that that's uh, after 22 years of putting up with me. So, but she knows, she, she has in mind, don't waste resources. You don't waste resources. Uh, for me personally, I think, you know, don't waste energy. That's how I conserve things. Don't waste energy. And so, um, so I was at the, the gym the other day, obviously, and... Uh, and, uh, and they, they, they caught me at the door and they said, hey, since you're a member, you're, you get a free training session with one of our trainers. And I know they're trying to you know, loop me into paying for something which I'm not gonna do. And, okay, free training session, great. I'll go to the free training session with a trainer. And the trainer, you know, clipboard in hand goes, what are, your, what are your fitness goals? And I said, I only have one. It's to not come here very often. <laughs> and uh, so I don't wanna conserve energy. I don't wanna waste it. So you understand what waste is. You understand what waste and responsibility are. I don't, I don't wanna waste things. We have a wasteful God. The Bible describes a wasteful God, a completely irresponsible, wasteful God. And I think I can show you that from the Bible this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on to Luke chapter 15. This is the the lost chapter of Luke. Uh, And it's not called the lost chapter because it's missing. It's called the lost chapter because there are three 
parables of Jesus in it, which all talk about something getting lost. So this is the lost chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 15. We're in a series on Sundays called, uh, called uh, Carpentry 101, Stuff Jesus Would Build. And we're looking at the things that Jesus would build inside of us, our character, and we're looking at the things that Je Jesus would build between us, our community. So we're looking at character and we're looking at community. And in order to understand the kind of character that Jesus wants to build in us, we have to look at the character of Jesus. And I think this morning as we look at the character of Jesus, you will see that he is absolutely wasteful. Uh, follow along with me if you would. In Luke uh, chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1, we're going to read the whole chapter together. Luke chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, listen to the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Uh, it's important who's in the crowd. The tax collectors were Jewish people who were taking money away from the Jewish people to give to the Roman people who ruled over them. So the tax collectors were absolutely despised. No one liked them. The sinners were a, a group of people who everybody would have known about. Now, when you and I use the word sinner today, it has sort of a generic, bland flavor to it. You know, we say, oh, we're, we're all sinners. Everybody's a sinner. There's not a group that you can point to and say, well, but those are really the sinners. But in, in first century Judea, it, it had a far more clear sense to it. Sinners were very clearly the people who were either not Jewish or who had violated such strong moral maxims that everybody knew that person was out. That person did things that they should not have done. Um, the, wor the word for sin in Greek, the word used here, uh, actually comes from archery. Uh, the word is amartion. And the word was used in archery. You know, when you're firing a, a bow and arrow at a target, the way a, a pastor around here has done in church one time. Um, if you had a target and somebody fired an arrow from a distance, it might look like it hit the bullseye. But from a distance, you can't tell. Did it hit it or was it just close? And so somebody would walk up and look at it, and if it had just missed the bullseye, if it just fell short of it, that person would call out, Amartian, sin, you missed. So sinners were the people that everybody could look at and go, no, that guy missed. If you look at him, if you look close, clearly he missed it. He, he's out. Uh, sinners would be the people that you and I today, you know, those, those are the people you gossip about. And nobody corrects you because everybody goes, yeah, that guy, psh. Yeah, her, psh right? The sinners, the very clearly the, the outside ones. And these are the people Jesus is hanging out, hanging out with. And so the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees were the first century uh, Jewish teachers of the law who were self-righteous and judgmental and used God's law to put other people down. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees say, look, Jesus is hanging out with Sinners, the people who have missed it, with the tax collectors and birds of a feather, right? If he's hanging out with them, he's probably one of them. He hangs out with prostitutes. What do you think he's doing with them? He, I, we see him drinking. He drinks wine. What, how much of that do you think he drinks, right? Jesus is guilty by association here. So they're sitting around murmuring about Jesus. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Jesus asks a very clear question here. If you have 100 sheep and you lose one of them, don't you, go, don't you leave the 99 and go looking for the one that's lost? I have an answer to the question. No, that's not what you do. You have 99 perfectly good sheep that are safe. You don't leave 99 for the one. You keep the 99. 99 out of 100 is still an A+. Here we are at the end of the semester. You know what, exactly what I'm talking about. I'd be happy to have a 99%. If, if Mr. Wanderlust wants to go seeing the world, let him go. If stupid doesn't understand that we got a good over here, let him go. That's not my business. I'm not going after one. And no, you don't throw a party when you find the lost one. What is this, the sheep that laid the golden egg that you're spending all that money on a party because you found a sheep? How much do parties cost? Probably more than a sheep, I'm going to say. I don't know how much sheep cost. If it lays a golden egg, it probably is worth a lot. But let's, let's, I'm not going to waste money on a party for a lost sheep. And Jesus seems like he's the kind of guy that would throw a party for people who get lost and then come back again. Why would you do that? I mean, look, you and I are here this morning. We're good people. We're in church. We're good people. If some, if some pagan wanted to, wanted to sleep in this morning because they're, they're hungover or, or just lazy, why would I spend any resources going to chase that person? We're good. You and I, we're good people. We're here. There's like 99% of us are here. Who cares about that person? And if they come back, we're not going to waste money on a party for that person. That's positive reinforcement of negative behavior. If you do that, they're going to do it again. If they come back, what we're going to do is we're going to have them sit on a stool with a little pointy hat that says dunce on it right there next Sunday. We're not going to go throw a party for some lost person. See what I mean? Jesus is wasteful. Jesus is irresponsible, thoughtless, and wasteful. What on earth is he talking about? It gets worse. <sighs> or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, to understand this parable, you have to understand what kind of coin he's talking about. Because, you know, you picture a nickel, this seems like kind of a, a waste of time. Right? You, you lose a nickel, you don't sweep the whole house looking for it. What he's talking about here is called a denarius. It was a first century coin, a denarius, and it was worth a day's wage. So if a common laborer work, went and worked for a full day, they didn't get a paycheck or a, you know, an automatic deposit. They got a coin that was like a token that said, this person has put in a day's wage. They can go trade this on, on a day's worth of, of supplies. At one point, a denarius was worth 10 mules. You could trade it on a denarius on 10 mules. So it was a valuable coin. Uh, and coincidentally, I found out, denarius is the root of the word denaro. The Spanish word dinero, money, comes from denarius. So when you say dinero today, you're actually hearkening back to this coin that Jesus would have been talking about. So this lady has mucho denarius, and, uh, and she loses one, and she looks over the whole house, and she finds it. That's, uh, you can understand that. If it's worth a day's wage, you know, uh, figure, you know, a common, common uh, uh, wage, minimum wage. She's probably got about 100 bucks in this coin. That's worth looking for. And then she finds it. And what does she do according to Jesus? She calls all of her friends to say, I found my $100. Jesus asks a question, isn't that what she does? When she goes and she searches over her whole house and she finds it, she calls all her friends and tells them, isn't that what she does? No, that's not what you do. If you tell your friends you just found $100, guess who's buying the next dinner? 
You have to share if you tell all your friends. I remember this one time. I was walking along with some of my friends one evening, and we decided we were going to get coffee. And it was, you know, late, but we're going to make a night of it, so we're going to find an open cafe and, and have coffee. So we're walking up this sidewalk together. And with my eagle-like vision, <clears throat> with my hawk-like vision, I see this green piece of paper on the ground up in front of me. I see this green. You know, nobody else has seen it. My hawk-like vision, I see it. So I, I break free from the pack like a winner. And I, and, I, and I run ahead, and I grab it, and I pick it up, and I found a $20 bill. Once in my life, I found a $20 bill on the ground. And I turn around to my friends, and I say, look, I found a $20 bill. And then I realized what that $20 was about to go for. It was about to buy coffee for everybody. Because you know what you can't do after you find a $20 bill and tell all of your friends you found it? What you can't do is go, yeah, we'll take separate checks. I'll just, I'll use my free money to pay for my coffee and they can use the money that they worked for to pay for their coffee. That'll be fun with separate checks. You can't do that. If you told your friends you just found a $20 bill, you're buying coffee for everybody. So Jesus says, look, this woman finds $100. Doesn't she call all of her friends and say, hey, look, come rejoice with me. I found my $100. No, that's not what you do. No, that's, you don't throw some over-the-top party because some sinner has wandered away and been found again. That, what, a, what a wasteful thing to do. I mean, what a, what, a complete, what a complete misuse of resources. If somebody's gone and, and wasted their life and, and spent their life on things, things that aren't good for them, then why would we reinforce that by throwing a party for them? And yet I have the feeling that Jesus is exactly the kind of guy that throws big parties every time some sinner comes home again and invites everybody. Says he invites all the angels. Says there's a party in heaven. All the angels have a party every time somebody turns around and goes back home again. How much do angels eat? I have a feeling they're big. Just my, they're, I don't think they're like Tinkerbell. I think they're big. The, the ones in the Raphael paintings are all pudgy, you know? So I think they eat a lot. And I have the feeling Jesus is throwing parties for them all the time. What a wasteful God. Somebody needs to do something about Jesus. Verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the best and most important of Jesus' parables because it tells the whole story of our relationship with God. God created us to be with with him in his house at peace. This is the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. This is how things were created in the beginning. We were meant to be at peace with God, and we wrecked it. We run away from him. We do this individually, and we do this corporately as a species. We run away from God and say, I want things on my terms, not yours. And we've wrecked the world as a result. All the world bears signs of the brokenness of our relationship with God. We run away from God, and we wreck our lives. And only when we reach that point where we have poured everything out and emptied ourselves and realized how broken that we are, do we turn around and begin to walk back home, realizing the only thing that we can do is eat crow and apologize? But seeing us from a distance, God comes running out to meet us, not with punishments, but with party. And he throws his arms around us and takes us home. He takes us in not only as children, but as heirs of the estate. Where are you in that walk with God? Are you peacefully in his house or have you run away? Are you living wildly and enjoying it or have you spent it all and ended up broken? Have you realized that you need to turn around and come back? Have you experienced his grace when you do? Or are you like the older brother? Are you like the older brother who stands out in the yard scoffing at the younger brother because he doesn't want the younger one to come back? He's mad at the lavish grace that he sees inside his father's house. Older siblings do this all the time. Uh, I remember back in Hawaii, there was this family at my church there uh, who a young couple growing up in marriage together and suddenly they got a surprise and a little princess came along and they had a little daughter in their family and they spoiled her and they poured cookies into her and they loved her and she was as happy as could be. Maymay was her name. They just loved Maymay and Maymay was growing up and just the princess of the house and then something terrible came along and ruined Maymay's life. Another princess. The second little daughter born into the family. She was about five or six years old, and all of a sudden the attention shifted, and the time shifted, and the cookies shifted. And I remember seeing Maymay when she's about five or six years old, and the parents were carrying the, the baby around, you know, oogling the baby and everything. And Maymay looks at them and she goes, You know, if you always carry her around, she'll never learn how to walk. <laughs> 
This is the older, older sibling syndrome. The older son is mad at the lavish grace that he sees in his father's house. Um, I noticed something about this parable when I read it this time. And I, and I love the fact that no matter how many times you read God's word, God will sometimes open your eyes to something that you didn't catch before. And God will speak through his word to you about something you need to hear at that time, even in a passage you've read a hundred times before. And I was reading the story of the prodigal son again. I read it a hundred times before, and I saw something in here I never, I never noticed. Neither the older brother nor the younger brother are inside the father's house. We always associate the older brother with the father's house because the younger one has run away. The older one stayed home. But in this parable, neither one is inside the father's house. The younger one has run away from boredom and stasis, seeking adventure. The older one is out in the yard resisting grace. And I'm not sure that the older one is any closer to being inside the father's house than the younger one. The younger one has run away looking for adventure. The older one actually resents the grace that he sees in the house. And that is the state of the American church. That is the state of the American church. When the population of America looks at the church, they think judgmental, self-righteous, they don't want us there, I'm not going. I'd rather stay home and sleep in because I don't want, I don't want to hear what I'm going to get when I can't keep up appearances in the church. This is the state of the American church, and it's because there's so many older brothers hanging around the church being grumpy. They're not inside the father's house. They're out in the yard being grumpy because they hate the lavish grace that they see inside the house. But that's what's associated with the American church today. And I want to do something different at real life than what I see in a lot of churches out there. I want us to be something different as a church than what, than what a lot of churches are offering uh, the, the American church today looks at the lavish grace of the Father and calls it liberal because it's just too generous to lost people. It's just too, too open-hearted to people who aren't living right. The American church wants to say, well, we'll take them back, but only if they repent first, only if they admit to everything they did wrong, only if they promise they're never going to do it again, and then we'll put them on probation, right? That's the older brother talking. That's not the father. I want to do something different as a church because as a church, we should have the character of the God that we follow. We should have the character of the Jesus that we follow. And that's why, unlike a lot of churches out there that offer all kinds of activities for already Christian people to get together with other already Christian people so that they don't have to associate with anybody outside the world, we're not going to pack this church full of activities. You know, I told you before, it's like the people who go to the gym to take a yoga class and it's not Christian enough, so they go back to the church and form praise-a-lotties where they listen to Christian music and do Christian yoga, whatever that is, so they can be around all their Christian friends and only talk about Christian things. I don't want you doing that with other Christians. I want you at the gym with a bunch of pagans. I want you at the gym with people who don't know Jesus, and I want you in their lives, and I want you to love them and care about them. And when they hurt, I want you to offer to pray with them, and I want you to share Jesus with them. Every one of us ought to love one person enough to introduce them to Jesus. And if all you're doing is hanging around Christian people, you're never going to love one person enough to introduce them to Jesus. If all of your friends are already Christian, you're not following Jesus. You may be a perfectly good person, but you're not doing the mission that Jesus put you on. When, when, when we function as a church, we function not to build walls to keep broken people out. We live to be in the world spreading Jesus' love to lost people.
When we have a, a block party here in a couple weeks, on June 2nd, Sunday, June 2nd, 5 p.m., we're gonna have a big block party. It's totally free, barbecue, bouncy houses for the kids, live music, great time just to hang out. Please come, but don't look at it as an opportunity for you to hang out with your already Christian friends that you already go to church with. Invite somebody else along. It's a great, beautiful, soft invitation to somebody who might not be ready for a worship service. You know, it's hard to invite somebody who doesn't believe in God to go to a worship service. What do you do? We sing songs to God. I don't believe in your God. Well, then we listen to talk about God. I don't care about your God. It's kind of a hard sell, right? A blog party is a nice, soft invitation to say, hey, come hang out with some of my friends from my church and just see who we are. And when they realize that we're not all the older brother, we actually like to throw parties, they might find it's different than what they expected. So by all means, come to our block party. But bring friends, pass out invitations. That's what those things are for. When we do things together as a church, it's not for a religious community to have consumer goods that they're already used to. It's for us to reach out to a lost and broken world. Uh, I read this, this passage again, The Prodigal Son, and I, I realized for the first time what the older brother was doing out in the yard. He was building a fence. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm pretty sure I know people like this. He's building a fence to make sure nobody can get into the father's house. He's building a fence to make sure if his brother comes home, there's one more hurdle he has to get over before he can get in the door. And religious people do that kind of thing all the time. That's why at real life, we don't have a dress code. A dress code at churches, you know, where you have to dress the right way or the right look, is only there to make people feel uncomfortable if they're new. That's why we don't have a dress code at our church. It's why you don't hear me use a lot of thick theological vocabulary when I talk to you on Sundays. I read theology for fun, but I'm not using a thick theological vocabulary because I don't want people to have to figure out what I'm talking about when they listen to me talk. Uh, I'll give you a little secret of preaching here. When I preach, the person I am aiming at is a 17-year-old boy. Because if I can speak to a 17-year-old boy, I can get everybody else. That's how 17-year-old boys function. If I can get a 17-year-old boy, and, and adults... Adults aren't any further along. Adults are just like teenagers with more expensive toys and shorter attention spans. So if I can address a 17-year-old boy, I can get everybody else. And that's what I want us to do as a church. I don't want us building fences to keep sinners out. I want us to be a place where broken people experience a kind of love they never expected to get from the church and they never see anywhere else. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be because we worship a wasteful God. We worship a God who will expend resources and time and money and his life on broken people. We worship a God who sacrificed the opportunity to be a heavenly being up in the sky, to come down and be a human being and walk among us, to sacrifice his very life on the cross so that when we believe in him, we can be forgiven of all that brokenness. We worship a wasteful God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If he wasn't wasteful, if he wasn't wasteful, I couldn't be here. And neither could you. Right? We worship a wasteful God. Thank you, Jesus. So now let me tell you what you have to do. If you want to take the character of that wasteful God and then be a, a wasteful person in Jesus' name, you have to do something. I'm going to give you a little exercise physically that I want you to do right now. And it's kind of a full room, so it's going to be a little bit hard, but I think you can do this. Everybody, where you are right now, I want you to just, you can do this on the pew here. I want you to just take one butt scoot to the right. Just scoot one, one scoot to the right. Just where, and I know if you're on the aisle, you're stuck. Okay. No, actually do it. I can see you. And in the chapel too, I can see you over there. We have technology, right? So everybody take one butt scoot to the right. Okay. You got it? All right. Now take two butt scoots to the left. Go back where you were and then go over one more. So now you're, 
Scoot over one. Yeah, there you go. It's like a sea of, there you go. All right. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to move your butt. You do. Yeah. Yeah, they broke out in applause in the first service. I was like, what is this, a middle school group? Jeez, come on. Yeah, you do. If, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you can't hang out with a bunch of already Christian people doing already Christian things and having praise a lot at the church. You have to be out in the world loving lost people in Jesus' name. You have to waste your time and your resources loving people who don't deserve it. Don't hang around the church building fences against other people and gossiping about them. Go love lost people in Jesus' name. That is the mission of the church. That's the character of anybody who follows him. The kingdom of God is like this. There was a, a kid playing little league baseball. It was a big thing in his town. Everybody was into it. And he was at the game. His name was Mitch. And, and Mitch was at the, the baseball game. And it was the, the end of the, the game, end of the ninth inning. There were bases loaded, tied game, two outs. And he gets up to bat. All of his families come out because they know what a big game this is. End of the season, everybody's there. He's got like 30 family members up in the bleachers. They're all cheering and he steps up to bat. Pressure is on. Man, it all hangs on this one moment at bat. And he steps up and he thinks, okay, I just gotta, I'm just going to hit it. I just got to get one run in. I'm just going to hit it. And the pitcher throws a fastball and he swings desperately and he misses it. And the pitcher throws a curveball and he swings and he misses it. It's all hanging on this moment. The pitcher throws one, and Mitch swings, and he misses. Strike three, you're out. Game over. He looks back, and at his dugout, his own team is booing him. The other team is chanting, two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? And they're all pointing at him and laughing. And he goes back to his dugout in tears. And he sits down, and he just sobs because it's over, and he did it, and there's no fixing it. People wander out, the dugout empties, cars drive away. He sits there with his face in his hands. And then he hears a voice say, the game's not over. And he doesn't look up, but he hears again, Mitch, the game's not over. And he looks, looks up, and his 30 family members who were there for the game have come down and are out on the field. And they've gone to the bases and the outfield, and they're waiting, and his dad is on the pitcher's mound. And he says, Mitch, game's not over. You're at bat. And realizing what his family's doing, he runs out. And he picks up the bat. And his dad throws him the ball. And he misses. And he goes, that's okay. We'll do it again. And he throws it. He throws it 13 times. He misses a bunch. But eventually, eventually he hits the ball. His dad says, run. And he runs around the bases. With his whole, whole family cheering. And as he comes down that final stretch... His dad beats him and he says, you're always safe at home. You're always, you're always safe at home. If you have lived a lost and broken life, 
if you have lived the life of a prodigal and you have not only messed up your life, you have messed up the lives of people around you, people you were supposed to care for. What's waiting for you in the Father's house is not punishment. What's waiting for you in the Father's house is a party. You're always safe at home. If you have lived a lost and broken life, come home to your Father. He's waiting with open arms. And if you have been a good religious person who's hung around the church and resents the grace of this father who keeps wasting all these resources on lost people, the party is for you too. The party is for you too. You just have to stop building fences and pick up some balloons. If you've lived the life of a, of a self-righteous religious person and you realize Jesus is actually calling you to something better. Find some lost and needy person and just absolutely pour love into them. It will be a messy, wonderful thing to do. As we go to prayer, let me say goodbye to our friends in the chapel and bless them as they pray and worship. And let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we are always safe at home. I thank you that you wait by the window. For people who have lived broken and selfish and lost lives, you wait for the window for us to turn around and come running to you. And you wait not to take us in begrudgingly, but happily to make us your children and your heirs. If anybody here doesn't yet know it, but wants it, Jesus, come into our hearts and be our Lord and our Savior. Forgive our sins and restore us to new life. Wash away the sin that has held us down. Make us new. And for anybody who has, has lived, for the, lived for the law, lived for the rules, God, help us to see those in the light of your grace. May we become devoted, holy, absolutely wasteful in the name of Jesus. May we spend all the resources that you've given us in the name of love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.